Welcome to Musculoskeletal Clinical Anatomy. This is a podcast for the education of physical medicine and rehabilitation residents. My name is Nicole Kelleher, and I'm a resident physician in the field of physical medicine and rehabilitation. This program is geared primarily toward the education of residents in the PM&R field. However, it may be useful in the education for residents in the fields of internal medicine, family medicine, orthopedics. It may also be useful in the education of medical students or anybody else interested in musculoskeletal clinical anatomy. This episode, we are going to be discussing a differential diagnosis for medial knee pain and then discussing the relevant anatomical structures. First up, we are just going to discuss the cutaneous nerve innervation of the medial knee. So the medial knee is innervated superiorly by the anterior femoral cutaneous nerve. This is a branch of the femoral nerve and comes from nerve roots L2 and L3. Inferiorly, the medial knee is innervated by the saphenous nerve for its cutaneous nerve innervation, which comes from nerve roots L3 and L4. Now, occasionally, there is a branch of the obturator nerve, which represents nerve roots L2 through L4, which descends medially and innervates the superior medial knee. Second up on the differential for anterior for medial knee pain is pes anserine bursitis. Now the pes tendons are the sartorius, gracilis, and semitendinosus. And the classic acronym for the pes tendons are say grace before T. Sartorius is innervated by the femoral nerve from nerve roots L2 and L3, and it originates at the anterior superior iliac spine. Young athletes can get avulsion injuries, particularly if their apophyseal plates are not yet fused. These avulsion injuries typically occur at the origin of the sartorius on the anterior superior iliac spine. The sartorius participates in flexion, abduction, and an external rotation of the hip. Now, the gracilis is another pes tendon, and this is innervated by the obturator nerve from L2 and L3 nerve roots. Last is the semitendinosus, which is innervated by the tibial division of the sciatic nerve from L5 and S1 nerve roots. Now, the pes tendons all come from muscles that are medial rotators and knee flexors. Other medial rotators of the knee include the semimembranosus and other knee flexors of the knee include the long and short head of the biceps and the gastrox. The pes anserine bursa specifically is located in between the pes tendons and the MCL. The pes tendons come and cover the MCL superficially near the insertion on the tibia. Other bursa that are important in the medial knee include the bursa in between semimembranosus and the tibia. This bursa is typically located more posteriorly than pes anserine bursitis and can be a very large bursa. Now next up on the differential when talking about anatomical structures is an adductor magnus strain. The adductor magnus has several characteristics that make it an important structure when discussing musculoskeletal anatomy. 
The adductor magnus orig- originates from the pubic rami and inserts on the linea aspera of the femur, as well as the adductor tubercle of the femur, which is just superior to the femoral condyle. There is a space in between where the adductor magnus inserts on the linea aspera and where it inserts on the adductor tubercle. This space creates what is called the adductor hiatus. And this adductor hiatus is important because this is where the vascular structures of the leg, namely the femoral artery and vein, pass from the anterior leg into the posterior leg and become the popliteal artery and vein. The popliteal artery and vein can be disrupted in supracondylar femur fractures. The popliteal artery supplies the knee joint and gives off the geniculate arteries. The geniculate arteries are 10 vessels that form a periarticular anastomosis around the knee. The last thing to remember about adductor magnus that's unique is that it has dual peripheral nerve innervation. It's innervated by both the obturator, representing nerve roots L2 and L3, and the tibial nerve, representing nerve roots L5 and S1. Next up on the differential is an MCL tear. The MCL originates at the medial femoral condyle and attaches to the anterior medial tibial at about 4 to 6 centimeters distally to the knee joint. The MCL is made up of both superficial and deep fibers. The superficial fibers are specifically referred to as the tibial collateral ligament, and these fibers are the primary stabilizers to valgus stress at all angles of knee flexion. The deep MCL fibers are referred to specifically as the medial capsular ligament. These fibers are the primary stabilizer to valgus stress in full knee extension. The superficial and deep fibers can be separated by a bursa. The deep MCL fibers fuse with the medial meniscus. Injuries to the MCL can be part of the unhappy triad injury, which includes an MCL injury, an ACL injury, and a meniscus injury. This is also called O'Donohue's triad. Now, as I said before, the MCL is covered distally by the pes anserine tendons, and the anserine bursa is located in between the MCL and the pes distally. The function of the MCL is to limit valgus angulation of the knee and along with the ACL axial rotation. Injuries to the MCL typically occur by a lateral blow to the knee and the specific sports most commonly implicated are football and skiing. Injury to the MCL can also occur with with a sustained valgus force. Sometimes patients will hear a pop. The pain is worse at 30 degrees of flexion with an MCL injury. And you should test the MCL with a valgus stress at both full extension, where you're testing those deep fibers, and then at 25 to 30 degrees of flexion, testing the more superficial fibers. There are three grades of MCL injury. Grade one is a minor sprain, representing about five millimeters or less of motion with valgus stress testing. Grade two is a severe strain or partial tear where you'll get five to 10 millimeters of motion with valgus stress testing. 
and a grade three is the complete disruption or tear with greater than 10 millimeters of motion with valgus stress testing. Grades one and two can be braced with a hinge brace and treated conservatively. Grade three can often be an indication for surgery, especially in athletes, or treated with immobilization. Remember that guarding can cause a false negative test with valgus stress testing. So make sure the patient is relaxed when you're doing your valgus stress testing. Next up is osteochondritis desiccans. This is typically an injury that occurs in boys ages 9 to 18 and typically presents like a meniscal injury. Osteochondritis desiccans is an avascular necrosis of the bone underneath the cartilage. What happens then is that fragment of bone and cartilage can then break loose, causing pain and mechanical symptoms in the joint. This injury typically occurs at the medial femoral condyle. The etiology of osteochondritis desiccans is debated, whether or not it's trauma, ischemia, genetics, or multifactorial, this remains a topic of ongoing discussion. Now, osteochondritis desiccans may heal if the diagnosis is made prior to the defect separating from the bone. In this case, you can attempt rest and non-weight bearing as conservative treatment. If the defect does not heal or the fragment detaches, Surgery is indicated in this situation. Medial compartment OA is a common cause of medial knee pain, and we'll discuss this more when we talk about knee effusions later on in this podcast. But just to briefly discuss medial compartment OA, medial compartment OA causes an excessive varum or bow-leggedness of the knee. The medial compartment bears more weight through the gait cycle than the lateral compartment. It bears about 60 to 80% of body weight. For this reason, medial compartment OA is more common than lateral compartment OA or than patellofemoral compartment OA. In patients with unicompartmental OA in the medial compartment, considering an offloading brace or lateral wedges as an adjuvant to your therapy is reasonable. The last topic of discussion that we are going to address for medial knee pain is medial meniscus tears. Now, medial meniscus tears typically occur in cutting sports, such as football or soccer, where there is tibial rotation with partial knee flexion. This is in contrast to lateral meniscus injuries, which typically occur as a squatting injury, such as in wrestlers. These squatting injuries tend to occur with tibial rotation in full knee flexion. And that's a brief brief generalization about the differences in the mechanism of injury between medial and lateral meniscus tears. The medial meniscus is longer than the lateral meniscus. It's C-shaped. And as I said earlier, it attaches to the MCL fibers as well as the outer circumference of the joint capsule. The posterior horn of the medial meniscus attaches to the tibial intercondylar area, but the rest of the meniscus is movable. The posterior horn of the medial meniscus is the most common site of meniscal injury. The medial meniscus is more fixed than the lateral meniscus due to its attachment with the MCL. 
And it's important to remember for meniscal tears that the outer one-third of meniscal tears have a reasonable blood supply and have the best potential for healing. If a meniscal tear is in the outer one-third of the meniscus, it's reasonable to consider repair versus typically a resection that would be indicated for meniscal injuries that occur in the inner two-thirds, which are more avascular structures. Repairs have a much longer weight-bearing restriction period after surgery than resections. It is important to ask your patients if they have mechanical symptoms, particularly if you suspect a degenerative meniscal tear. Examples of mechanical symptoms are catching or locking. If a patient has a degenerative meniscal tear, surgery is typically not indicated unless the patient expresses a history of mechanical symptoms. Several of the tests employed in evaluation of the meniscus are the bounce home and the McMurray's. In the bounce home test, the knee is fully extended and the leg is held at the ankle. The knee is passively bounced up and down and pain represents a positive test. McMurray's test is a test in which the knee is flexed along with the hip and then the knee is extended with a valgus or varus stress being placed on the knee throughout the range of extension. A positive McMurray's represents pain or a click. That concludes our episode discussing medial knee pain and the relevant anatomical structures. I hope you join us next time when we talk about posterior knee pain and posterior knee anatomy. This podcast is not meant to represent medical advice. It is not meant to establish any standards of care and it is not meant to be used in any testimony or in any legal capacity. Seek advice from your own physician if you have a medical problem. The podcaster, any guests, or any related entities or institutions are not responsible for the accuracy of this program. 